John 6, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Then Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have even a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And then he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. That is God's word for us this morning. The feeding of the 5,000, it's, uh, it's one of the most well-known miracles in Jesus' ministry. We're presented here with a tremendous problem, a tremendous need. People are following Jesus. He's quite popular at this time. Later on, he would not be so popular. The people would hand him over to be crucified. But now, big crowds are following him. The big crowd is a ways away from their homes, far from any village, apparently, and the people needed to be fed. 5,000 people. Actually, no, 5,000 men. We surmise that there were women and children, too. So we're talking more likely a total group, men, women, and children, of anywhere from ten to 15,000 easily. Jesus asks Philip, who is one of his 12 disciples, this question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus already knew the answer. He was just testing him, we read. And you see Jesus, and we see this throughout the Gospels, how he was a very skilled teacher, and he wanted his disciples to think. And he wants us to think. It's a little bit like, but at a much lower level, like when we as a family have devotions at dinner. We have this great Bible story book, And there are questions after each story. A couple of weeks ago, we read about God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. 
And I have to think about gearing the questions about that story to each one of my children. We have an almost 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a two-and-a-half-year-old. So when I have the question, who did God give the tablets of stone to, I have to be sure that that question is for Sophia because she's six and because Hannah and Olivia know that one very easily and it's too hard for Adriana. And when I say, who wrote on the tablets of stone... I have to ask Adriana so she can give her standard answer to all questions, God. (laughs) Sometimes I ask a question, and it's meant for Adriana or Sophia, and Hannah or Olivia will answer. Accidentally, sometimes on purpose, and then I can be a little bit annoyed because I knew they knew that answer. It's getting harder to find questions that Olivia can't answer, by the way, as an almost 13-year-old. So this is Jesus, the teacher, instructing a disciple, testing him. It says that he tests them. A lot of people who talk about this parable say that Philip fails miserably. Philip flunks the test. That's what a lot of folks say. What does he do? Philip does a quick calculation, and he figures out there is no way to possibly feed all these people. This is a major problem. There's no possible way to buy enough bread. And another disciple, Andrew, seems to fail too, and he also confirms this challenge is impossible. He finds a boy with five small loaves of bread and Two small fish, as Aaron told us. But he's like, what use will this be? This isn't even enough for everybody to get even a little bite. And of course, he's right. All kinds of people say Philip and Andrew flunk the test. And they do in a certain sense. But in another sense, they pass the test. Because they show us what Jesus is intending to highlight in his testing. Jesus is showing us that without him, it's going to be impossible. And that is a general big principle for all of our living. Without Jesus, it's impossible. Another way we might put it is, without Jesus, where would we be? That's the way a a popular song on K-Love these days puts it. I don't know if you listen to K-Love. Toby Mac. Where would I be without Jesus? And the lyrics go like this. I'd be packing my bags when I need to stay. I'd be chasing every breeze that blows my way. I'd be building my kingdom just to watch it fade away. It's true. That's me without you. And then it goes, you, ooh, ooh, ooh. I won't do that part, though I did. Great song. Very catchy. If you listen to Caleb, you recognize it. Think of problems, big and small, without Jesus. 
would you? What would we do about the problem of our sins and the wrath of God on sin? Well, if you do a quick calculation, like Philip, you would find that without Jesus, this is an impossible situation. This is an impossible problem. Nothing can be done about it without Christ. What about the challenge of direction in your life? What about deciding and how to live day by day? What about what kind of values to live by? What about making life choices? These are problems people have. As you grow older, you're a child and and you grow older, you become more self-aware, you have to go out on your own. You have to decide how you're going to live your life. What's going to guide your choices? Without Jesus, that is an impossible challenge to make those decisions correctly. Here's one that people say to me all the time, time and time and time again as a pastor when they're going through hard times, whether it's, it's especially in going through major health issues, I would say, or when they've experienced the death of a loved one. They ask, what do people do without Jesus? How do they handle it? How do they live? How do they cope? How do they move ahead? And I say, and we say together, I, I say, I don't know. We're puzzled by it. And when you look at problem situations in life, our human resources are pitiful. Like those five loaves and two fish were a pitiful amount for all those people. Two small fish, maybe we could imagine a couple of of bluegill, like the ones my girls catch off their grandparents' dock. In reality, they were probably sardines, which can be as small as three to four inches. And then the loaves. All the Gospels tell us about this miracle, you know. It's the only one in all four Gospels, which must mean it's pretty important. But only John mentions that they were barley loaves. Barley was the grain used by the poorest of the poor to make their bread. And I think mentioning that they were barley loaves highlights for us how meager the human resources were in the face of this overwhelming need that 10 to 15,000 people had. Your resources, the resources at your disposal, my resources are like that in the face of human needs. Meager, pitiful. You think of how fragile our emotional and mental capacities are when it comes down to it. I was catching up with my grandpa Post a few days ago on the phone. I mentioned him to you before. He lives in Sarnia, Ontario. And he was telling me that one of their two pastors, I forget, it's one of the Christian Reformed churches in Sarnia. There are several. I forget which one he goes to. But last Sunday, one of those two pastors 
went up and shared with the congregation that he had had, a, I don't know if he called it a mental or a nervous breakdown, a breakdown of some sort, and needed time to recoup and heal. And you begin to realize in situations like that how fragile our resources are, our emotional capabilities and mental capacity, how fragile they can be just to live everyday life. We can get anxious. That can go on for some time. And if that is not solved through sometimes medication or other things, someone can tip over the edge. And it can be very, very scary. And it can be difficult to come back. I think of how fragile our physical strength is. And you strapping young people out here in your, your young children, teenagers, 20-somethings, you don't think about this because you're healthy and well, most of you. But we don't know what's going on inside our bodies exactly. We don't know what kind of cells are growing or possibly mutating in a dangerous way. Think of how quickly a stumble or a fall can result in weeks and months of rehab and recovery and hassle. All we've got on our own, it's, it's the equivalent of, of these two little fish and five loaves of barley bread to face the challenges of our lives and of this world. This is what John is highlighting by showing us what Philip and Andrew said. And in a sense, these guys pass Jesus' test with flying colors because they realize the helplessness of the situation. They highlight the total inability of mankind. John is telling us in his record of the feeding of the 5,000, each gospel tells it in a little different way. And it's our job to kind of figure out, hey, what is this gospel telling us? John is telling us that only Jesus can fill the hungry soul. Only Jesus has the solution. Only Jesus can solve the problem. Pretty amazing, too, is just the fact that he cares enough to solve the need. Jesus recognizes the situation, doesn't he? And it's because God is a God who cares about people's needs. He's not oblivious to this going on, you know, like one of us might be. He's not so focused on his teaching and thinking up the next parable to say to all these people. He's not so busy with his quote-unquote work that he misses their need to be fed. And the fact is that Jesus recognizes and knows your need too this morning. And he steps in. He had in mind what he was going to do. And then he looks over the situation in verse 10 after we see the utter helplessness of the scene. And he says, 
have the people sit down. See, Jesus has got it covered. And he's got that problem in your life covered too. And we see then how Jesus meets the need. He multiplies these loaves and these fish enough to feed everybody. Verse 11. In the way John tells this miracle, he wants us to look ahead, actually, to the cross to see that that is the ultimate means that God uses to meet people in their need. Mankind was lost in sin without direction, without a future, but through Jesus' sacrifice and death and resurrection, the Son of God accomplished salvation, saved us from our sins, gave us life, gave it abundantly. Only John mentions that this happened by the Passover feast. Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. At the Passover, God's salvation of his people in the Old Testament was remembered with the sacrifice of a lamb. And Jesus was headed to the cross to be the once-for-all Passover lamb sacrifice for our salvation. And this miracle points us to that, and it points us to the Last Supper. Do you notice how it said Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. And that's the same words that he uses at the Last Supper, that day before Good Friday, when he instituted communion, the Lord's Supper, to remind us and to assure us of how he meets us in our need through the cross. John is always looking ahead to the cross. We're going to find that two-thirds of his book take place from Palm Sunday to Easter in just that little week. And he's pointing us here to the ultimate way that God meets us in our needs. Salvation from sin, new life, hope, direction, and purpose. Healing the relationship with us and our God. And when that is healed, when that broken relationship clicks, when that's in place, the reality is that everything else in your life falls into place. That sounds overly simplistic. It is absolutely true, nevertheless. When you know Jesus and he meets your ultimate need, everything else falls into place. Because being in relationship with God is how God designed this creation and human lives. Everything will not become instantaneously perfect in your life. But in Jesus, truly, all of your needs will be met. Millions of Christians throughout history and today will testify to that. What's the end result of all of this? We've looked at the need, we've looked at the means of fixing that need, and now we're looking at the outcome. Well, Jesus meets each person's need completely and fully. There's enough for everybody. Everyone gets totally filled. Verse 12, they all had enough to eat. In fact, there were 12 baskets left over, and a lot of people see significance that were told that there were 12 baskets and think the 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
What were the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, they were the people of God in the Old Testament. And if that's true, then God's word is telling us that Jesus completely meets the need of every single one of his children. No one is left wanting. We read that they had as much as they wanted. And that's what grace is, as much as we want. So remember that when you're tried and when you're tempted. Remember that in your sorrow. Remember that when you face a crossroads for your future. There's enough for everyone. And that means there's enough for you too. There really is. I want to I want to tick off some of the needs that I've witnessed Jesus meet up close over the years and in my life up until now. Depression. Extreme financial stress. Bankruptcy. Long-term impossible illness. When you have five or ten minutes sometime, talk to Sarah about Jack and his struggle that we're following along with through his blog. Cancer. Worry and anxiety, marital stress, divorce, addiction, substance abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, death. God has shown up and has shown himself faithful in all of these situations and more. In Jesus, he meets every need. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need. May you own that promise today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work that promise into our hearts and lives. The people say at the end here, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. These folks knew the scriptures pretty well. They were probably making a connection with Psalm 132, verse 15. And it it says there, it's talking about the Messiah the prophet and ultimate prophet and king of Israel, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. They tasted Jesus, and they knew he was the answer. That's why they acknowledged him as the prophet. How about us? What do we do when we're faced with our needs, large and small? Like Philip and Andrew Do we focus on our resources and do the calculations in our minds, only calculating in the human resources? Or do our first thoughts calculate in the Lord Jesus, who has so often helped us in the past? Do we bring each situation in life to God? Do we turn instinctively toward him? That's the call today to each one of us who can tend to very easily and only look to our resources, our strength, and inevitably get discouraged and fall short. Jesus fills the hungry soul. Only Jesus, through his death and resurrection, And he provides enough for everyone. 
even enough for you, my friend. This is a message for you and me in the church. This is a message that we have for everyone who's in need. Amen.